You're listening to a Women's History Association of Ireland podcast. In this podcast, a paper from Besieged Bodies, Gendered Violence, Sexualities and Motherhood, the Women's History Association of Ireland's annual conference for 2020-2021. This online conference took place on four Fridays in March 2021 and was supported by the UCD Decade of Centenaries Fund, the UCD School of History, the UCD School of Gender Studies, UCD Centre for Gender Feminisms and Sexualities and the UCD College of Arts and Humanities Fund. This podcast is produced in association with History Hub. To listen to other papers and conference keynotes, go to historyhub.ie. The WHAI conference was organised by Dr Mary McAuliffe from UCD Gender Studies and Dr Fanula Walsh from UCD School of History. This podcast features a paper from Gender and Political Activism which was a UCD Decade of Centenaries funded panel. The third paper in the panel was given by Charlotte Aslison from the University of Oslo. The paper was entitled I Suffered Indescribable Pain, The Emotional Impact of Hunger Striking and Forcible Feeding on Male Republicans, 1916-1921. The panel was chaired by Dr Mary McAuliffe from UCD. Our third paper uh, for this first panel um, is from Charlotte Aslinson, who is a graduate stu- student of history from the University of Oslo. She has a BA degree in history uh, from the same university. She spent time in Ireland during her undergraduate and MA studies at UCC and UCD, and her main interests are gender, history, and the history of emotions. Her master's te- thesis implements both uh, the history of masculinity and the histories of uh, emotions. She's editor of the student-run historical journal at the University of Oslo called Forted, Translation the Past. And she now works as a research assistant and project coordinator for a research project called Nordic Branding at the University of Oslo. And Charlotte is going to speak to us about, um, or the title of her paper is, I Suffered uh, Indescribable Pain, the Emotional Impact of Hunger Striking and Forcible Feeding on Male Republicans, 1916 to 1921. Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me, uh, Mary and Nuna, today. And thank you so much to the other speakers. My paper built on a chapter of my MPhil thesis, where I analysed the emotional expression of male Republicans about their experience in the Irish Revolution, how the establishment of the Southern Irish state affected their retellings, and how their emotional expression might reflect the hegemonic male Irish identity of the time. Uh, The sources I used in my thesis are from the National Library Ireland, the Bureau of Military History Archives, um, and some memoirs, but I'll mainly just use one memoir for this paper. Um, This paper examines hunger-striking male Irish Republicans during the revolution, focusing on the period from the first mass incarceration of Republican prisoners of the revolution in the aftermath of the East Rising of um, 1916 to the end of the War of Independence in 1921. It analyzes the phenomenon of hunger-striking and the resulting forcible feeding by British authorities, uh, the emotional suffering forcible feeding incurred in men, and the emotional navigation surrounding the act of hunger striking. Um, It analyzes the emotional and psychological impact hunger striking and forcible feeding had on the male psyche. Hunger striking was a prominent form of political protest during the Irish Revolution that occurred within the prison system. It often occurred as a reaction uh, of discontent within the prison, which came as a result of not being treated as political prisoners. 
being treated as criminal prisoners undermined the nature of the Republicans' revolutionary activity and the hunger-striking Republicans advocated for privileges which were unique to political prisoners, such as freedom to roam the prison uninhibited, the ability to take exercise together and speak to one another, receiving better food, more parcels from the outside, more visitors, and the ability to wear their own clothes instead of a prison uniform. The protests aimed to not end until they were given either political prisoner status or unconditional release. Most hunger strikes started as what can be described as a form of riot, uh, breaking furniture and fixtures in the prison, particularly cell doors and breaking windows, as well as making a lot of commotion. Therefore, although hunger striking itself can be seen as a very stationary form of protest, this was not necessarily the case. Um, for reference for this, please see the Bureau of Military History statements of Michael Brennan, William McNamara and Peter Howley, um, as well as the first few pages of the source on my uh, PowerPoint right now. Um, I'm sure there's more, but those are the ones that I used. The displayed quote is lifted from an account of forcible feeding uh, as described by Austin Stack, a Republican who had gone to become a leading figure in political prison protests during the revolution. This particular account was uh, smuggled out of prison on what was likely to have been toilet paper, which means that it did not go through the prison authorities and was therefore completely uncensored. From what we can see in the quote, um, it holds a very graphic description of a botched attempt at forcible feeding from an unexperienced doctor, thus as well as showing how the act of forcible feeding works, how an inexperience can make what was already a very painful procedure even more unbearable, and what emotional and psychological impact. I suffered indescribable pain uh, whilst he filled, filled with his finger and with the tube to get the tube down my throat. Eventually the thing was at the end and I vomited about half of what had been pumped into me. The reason why I could not say whether I was fed or not after his earlier effort was due, I suppose, to the pain as I had lost all, sen all other senses for the moment and I was unable to see anything on account of water coming from my eyes. What is most relevant to note, however, in this quote, um, as well as the letter as a whole, that there is no overt emotional expression. Uh, there is expression of pain, but not an expression of the emotional impact this clearly traumatic experience might have had on him. Another volunteer named Aidan O'Devere is one of the few who has explicitly expressed fear or trauma in relation to uh, their experiences with forcible feeding. He not only admits to having experienced fear, as I've highlighted, um, while the forcible feeding itself took place, but also that he had nightmares about it in the years afterward, pointing to uh, pretty clear signs of trauma. C.S. Anders, or Todd Anders, for example, another volunteer who wrote a memoir about his experience in the revolution called Dublin Made Me, was removed from the hospital after only one day on hunger strike due, according to his doctors, his being very young at the time, Anders himself maintained in his memoir that he was not much affected at all and that the only emotions he felt about it were embarrassment and that his story had ended up in the newspaper. The only moment of weakness he recalls was when his doctor began to take his pulse and temperature a week into the strike. Andrews claims that he was reminded of Thomas Ashe, a well-known Republican martyr uh, who had died after six days on hunger strike. However, as he himself pointed out, uh, Thomas Ashe was killed as a result of forcible feeding and not of starvation. There are several reasons why 
Irish men might shy away from expressing their emotional or psychological distress, one of which could be the perception or other stereotype that of the time that Irish people were more prone to mental illness than other ethnic groups. For example, in an article by historian Joanna Bork, on the stigma men faced surrounding combat in the First World War, she pointed out that even the British War Office held to this stereotype and that it existed in spite of their reputation as a so-called martial race, meaning that the Irish were seen as a people suited exceptionally well for warfare and combat. She takes care to point out the servicemen from the Ulster region, which had a much higher percentage of Protestants and who were, um, to a much larger extent, descendants from Great Britain, exempt from this stereotype, which uh, points to a clear ethnic bias. She also claims that mental breakdowns were considered fundamentally emasculating for men. This prevalent stereotype could have caused an insecurity within the Irish male psyche, which sought to work against uh, the claim of mental weakness. For another, mental instability or fear attacks a masculine ideal of strength, both physical and mental, as well as the ability to be both a provider for one's family and a one's country. Bork also points out that PTSD was much less controversial when it was previously thought to be an affectation of the body and not the mind. Physical illness was thus seen as factual and, and quote-unquote real, whereas mental illness was difficult to understand and in many cases seen as false. Uh, Bork references the fact that a psychological explanation for PTSD stood too close to insanity to be respected, and that it was also associated, could also be associated with uh, cowardice. Uh, this shows the possibility of PTSD evoking shame in men, and thus male Republicans had, uh, one could argue, motive to not describe their experiences as traumatic for fear of being perceived as possessing irrational emotions, or even worse, to be considered insane. Conclusively, this was also a question of preservation of male honour. The ideal man possessed strong mental capacities and thus disclosing mental deterioration as a result of political protest could be seen as damaging to one's masculine status and ultimately as masculine Irishman. Historian Noemi Tusignan has argued in the context of the history of pain that in the medical field, sensory pain is considered to be in the position, possession of its inhibitor. This means that both pain is different for everyone because some can take more pain than others, and that pain is something which cannot be observed by anyone other than the one experiencing it. Tosignant then argues that because of the personal nature of pain, that it is closely tied to our emotional lives. Austin Stack does give special attention to detail about the intense and painful nature of being forcibly fed. He stated not only that he was in physical pain, but also that he felt strangled and that he had been rendered almost senseless by the pain and by how watered his eyes had become. Austin Stack's expression of his pain is something that only he is truly able to articulate. Furthermore, he would not have included his personal experience of pain if it did not serve a purpose. This purpose could be showing the, his brutal treatment by the British, of course. However, it is the argument of this paper that when Stack described feeling indescribable pain, he is also in some ways articulating an emotional experience. His description of his eyes watering, loss of senses and vomiting can be argued to have been uh, an expression of emotional distress as well as a description of physical reaction to the brutal force administered to him. 
although all of his description contained tangible and outward experiences, it might give a glimpse to the eternal effect this might have had on him. Even in the case of Eamon Odevere, he does not go so far as to call his experience traumatizing, um, choosing instead to describe nightmares and fear. Forcible feeding in relation to hunger striking is rarely discussed without acknowledging the medical dilemma that it presented. This medical dilemma is that it seemed uh, to many medical professionals at the time a much more serious abuse to stand by and let their patients die by starvation rather than to administer forcible feeding. Um, and I'm acknowledging this as a factor. However, in this paper, I'm choosing to focus on uh, the emotional and psychological impact. And what the sources clearly show is that forcible feeding was an inherently traumatizing experience. Hunger striking in the case of an is the case of an individual or a group using their own bodies as sites of political protest and having the agency over their bodies to facilitate such protest. Forcible feeding fundamentally undermines this act and takes this agency away from the hunger strikers. This can be seen as particularly emotionally distressing for men as the masculine identity presupposes a degree of control. More specific to Irish Republican masculinity, and especially in the context of the Irish Revolution, there is a prevalent idea of the Republican male as the protector and savior of Ireland. Coupled with the method inherent in forcible feeding, it is undeniable that it caused fear, humiliation and trauma, as well as a de great degree of physical pain. Secondly, and perhaps more importantly, it has been pointed out both by scholars and through examples in the sources that forcible feeding was inherently ineffective. Uh, near all people being vomited profusely, and thus, despite their efforts to restrain the individual so that they could be forcible fed, forcibly fed, there was no way to force their body to accept the food that they had been administered. The manner with which the forcible feeding was conducted meant that even those who did not struggle were likely to uh, be unable to keep the egg milk concoction down. Furthermore, in the worst cases, forcible feeding in itself resulted in death, as evidenced by the material figure Thomas Ash. Okay, in closing, what I'm arguing with all this is that um, the method of administering forcible feeding is inherently violent. And because the procedure is so violent and because it renders the victim powerless to stop it, it is possible to compare it to a form of assault. Certainly, it does not suggest that this was the intention of the doctors who administered it, nor that of the British government. Uh, however, as this paper examines the emotional experiences of hunger striking men, the focus is put not on the intention of the government, but on the impact of the victims. What I've shown through uh, the specific examples I have given in this paper through the quotes I have lifted from the source material is that in some cases it caused a degree of trauma which followed them later in life. References to the unknown horrors of forcible feeding being fed through both the nose and mouth and the pain, watered eyes, coughing and vomiting forcible feeding encouraged shows this practically. Despite this, emotional impact was only discussed rarely and physical pain was much more talked about than what emotional effect, whether large or small, this might have encouraged. Thank you so much for listening. Um, as I said in the beginning, this is an abridged version of a chapter of my thesis. Uh, so due to the time constraints, I couldn't include a lot of the other source materials and themes that I uh, explored. Uh, I also looked into peer pressure of hunger striking 
uh, uncertainty about the physical effects of hunger striking itself and material ideals as well. Um, so if anybody's interested in reading more, feel free to email me. Thank you so much again for having me. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Besieged Bodies, Gendered Violence, Sexualities and Motherhood, the Women's History Association of Ireland's annual conference for 2020-2021. You can listen to podcasts of keynotes and many other papers from the conference on historyhub.ie.